six. Mrs. Webb, it's good to see you out of a boot. Yes, I bet you're happy about that. It's a long time after the surgery, doesn't it? Second Corinthians chapter six. We've been in a series in Corinthians. Lord willing, this evening I want to speak to you on the subject of separation, a natural outgrowth of grace. I'm causing that trouble. Let me move that. Separation, a natural outgrowth of grace. We're going to go through the chapter. I'm going to read it with you. And then after reading distinctly in it, then we'll come back and uh, we'll cause... to understand it, we'll go through, and there's just some things I want to highlight and show you this evening. But help us live better for our Lord, and a uh, lot, lot to learn in here. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse one says, "We then, as workers together with Him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For He hath said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee." Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kind, kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, Our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. Now for recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and will walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's something, isn't it? Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We give our attention to this. Those in the hallway, come on in. 
and uh, you can be a part of things. But uh, this chapter, it's pretty amazing. It begins talking about the grace of God. It ends at the end of the chapter, or near the end, the last few verses, talks about be separate, saith the Lord, and how we're supposed to live unto the Lord. I taught you on Sunday, not out of this passage, but out of the preaching on Sunday, biblical separation is always for separation unto. It's always unto the Lord. That's an important point. Jesus said to His disciples when He called them to Himself, He said, follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, I say to you, in every part of life, in every way that we're supposed to be godly, it could be said, we'll follow Christ and He will make us. He will take us from where we are and teach us the ways of God. Teach us the truth of God so that we can follow the Lord. And so here in this, in this passage, you start out with grace and it goes through and talks about this and it comes down to this, the issue here of God's people being a separate people unto the Lord. Or I have this statement uh, written down here. Separation, it's a great biblical word, the word separate is. Um, and it is, it is a teaching that's given in chapter 6 to be separate. Come in, Wayne. You're distracting me more by trying to, trying to not distract. Come on in, Doc. Appreciate it. And uh, amen. We just had a Wayne storm. Is that right? This, that was rough, wasn't it? It shows the high calling of the children of God to live like and to honor the Heavenly Father. We're supposed to have resemblance of our Father. Um, Logan and I were, uh, I, was, I was in getting, uh, getting lunch this week and he and Bethany came in to the restaurant where I was and there was a, a lady in their works and my wife and I have gotten to know some and I asked her and Logan came over and gave me a hug and such and, and I said, do you know my son? She goes, oh yeah, I know him. And then she says, as if you couldn't tell anyway, because you know, Logan, of course, and Luke, not nearly as much, but Logan looks like me. It looks like I looked at, looked at, you know, right at 31 years of age, which he'll, he'll be 31 here just directly. And uh, so there's that resemblance there. I mean, if we show up together, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's that one's son. He's taller than I am, but our, our facial features are the same. And uh, God wants us to so resemble our heavenly father that He's recognizable in our day-by-day living. And that's exactly uh, the purpose why we were made, according to the Scriptures, to please God. That is our purpose for existence. The purpose for us individually to exist is to please God. The purpose for this church to exist is to please God. It's wonderful if people enjoy the church. It's wonderful if they're helped by it. But our main job is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And when we do that, then God can work in our lives and God will work in our lives. And I want to remind you, he, this was being written to a very fleshly church. Fleshly people. That city of Corinth was a wicked city. And these people were coming from all kinds of nonsense in their backgrounds. But they kept growing. They were carnal. But they kept growing. They had problems. I mean, almost everything that the church should do, they messed up at some time or another. But they kept growing. There's a word that does not appear one time in First or Second Corinthians. No form of the word shows up in either first or second Corinthians. And that's the word rebel. You do not find rebellion, rebel, rebellious, or any other derivative form of that word that appears in the Bible. Not one time in first or second Corinthians are the Corinthian people referred to as rebellious. They're fleshly, they're carnal. 
they've got problems that have to be addressed and things that need repented of and taken care of. But they didn't have a rebellious heart towards God. And because of that, they could grow. Did you ever take time to think about sometimes folks who come and, and come here to our church? You know, there are quite a number of people who this is their home church. They don't show up every week, but they're, they come through. Did you ever think about sometimes our, especially our young people, who actually get up and get themselves ready to ride our bus? They don't have to, but they want to be here. You say, oh, man, they come in sometimes, craziest things happen. They do, don't they? This last Sunday was a bit crazy with some things going on. We had a good crowd and the Lord blessed. We had folks saved. But I'm telling you, behind the scenes, there, there, there was a, it was just interesting. Nothing, nothing big or evil happened. It was just like things were a little bit tripping all day. But yet God was honored in it. And what I'm telling you is if we stay on track and realize that when somebody makes effort to be in the house of God, some of my preacher brethren, I wish I could just sit down and say, listen to this. People show up. They make the effort to be there. They want to hear something from the Word of God. That means God's doing something with them. May God help us to grow in the Lord and honor Christ. See, there's so much misteaching about grace right now. We're going to go down through this chapter. So much misteaching. Grace is being taught as licentiousness. License to sin. Under grace, I can do whatever I want. I'm afraid I'm no first thing about grace. You know what grace does? It reveals to us how much God actually cared about us. His mercy that He showed to us. The fact that we need grace tells us how absolutely lost and undone we are without Christ. It shows how exceedingly sinful sin is. And there's no voice or not many voices calling people to repentance under truth anymore. But that's what grace is for. Grace is on the other side of that. And we understand that because of God's magnificent grace, I, grace isn't a license excuse for me to go out and live in a way that's dishonoring to my God. Grace should make me so grateful to my God that I say, Lord, here's my life. I want it to be right for you. I want it to be clean for you. And that's what this chapter teaches in detail with it. Um, separation is a natural outgrowth of grace. Let me show you some things about this. Look in verse 1 of chapter 6. I want you to notice a little phrase at the end of the verse there. It says, We then as workers together with Him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Well, preacher, what's that about? Well, you're supposed to do something with the grace of your seed. We're supposed to do something with it. You say, oh, I'm learning some Bible. Wonderful. I'm, I'm happy about that. I want you to learn Bible. What are you doing with what you learn? You know, if I learn that I'm supposed to be a witness for Christ and I never witnessed anybody, then actually that truth becomes condemning in my life because I'm not doing what I know to do. If I learn from the Scripture that the Bible says be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, and yet I'm not willing to forgive when I'm wrong, I'm not willing to admit it, when I've been harsh or out of the way, then, then I'm not using the grace that has come to me. It's like I tell you, we don't, we don't come to church for entertainment. 
We come to learn how to live according to the Word of God. You come to be taught and then you're supposed to be feeding yourself from the Word. You're supposed to be checking the Word to see if what I'm telling you is scriptural. You're supposed to study it and doing that. And then I'm supposed to help by teaching and feeding and leading with that. But it's your walk with God. It's your relationship with the Lord. And because of that, this thing here when it's talking about not to, use, or not to receive the grace of God in vain, it's talking about if you are saved and then don't do anything with it. There's been times when I've been witnessing people, they say, oh yeah, I received the Lord. And, you know, they'll talk about it. And they're kind of flippant. Of course, you know, my sincero meter broke a long time ago. People say, I don't think they were sincere. It's a real good idea to give up that kind of trying to figure things out and just deal with people evenly and truthfully. But here, here's the things I've asked before, Brother Keith. I've, said, I've told somebody, I said, oh, that's neat. So, so you know the Lord did you save? Yes, great. All right, I'm glad to hear that. If you don't mind, you know, if you don't mind, would you tell me what difference Jesus has made in your life since you've known Him? Sometimes it do get quiet when you do that. I'll just tell you, it does. Let me show you Scripture with this. Don't lose your place here in 2 Corinthians, but go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and this will be an example of what I'm talking about here. 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 15 in our Sunday school and, Sunday school and adult Bible classes on Sunday. be some things about there. But look in... Uh, Look in 1 Corinthians 15. It gives you an example of what I'm talking about and what the Scripture tells you here about not receiving the grace of God in vain. Look in verse 10. As Paul, by the Spirit of God, gave testimony, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul said, when I realized what grace was, when I quit going about to establish my own righteousness by the law, and I realized I needed Christ as my Savior, and He's the only means of salvation. And he said, once that happened, he said, what God gave me, I didn't waste it, but I began to do what the Lord wanted me to do with my life. Don't take God's grace and make it a vain thing in your life. Talk about wasted potential and it breaks our heart and should break our heart. When we see someone who has capabilities, uh, opportunities, and they throw it away for one reason or another. I've seen people throw it away just because of laziness. They won't get up and work. I've seen people throw away because of booze, because of alcohol, because of other things they get into. A myriad of things. Self-destructive behavior. And it breaks your heart. And you say, that person had so much potential. And they just threw it away. Maybe as, even as I say that, maybe somebody comes to your mind and it's a heartbreak for you. But can I tell you that I believe the heart of God breaks every day over His children who saved by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit available, the Word of God given to us, and yet doing nothing with what we have. May God help us not to be that way in our lives. Let us, let's, let's, let's use what God's given us. Let's try to use it in the best way that we can. I continue on. I'm back in 2 Corinthians 6. He goes on down, and I, I want to show you something that's interesting with this. In verse 3, it says, "...giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed." 
Verse 4, but in all things, in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Now, we understand these were apostles. We understand your vocation may not be what would commonly be called a minister, but don't, aren't we all supposed to be ministers for Christ? Are we not all ambassadors for Christ if we're saved? Yes, the Bible says we are. And so, in that context, think about this for a minute. In all things, approving ourselves as the minister of God. And the approving is the idea of showing it forth, not just telling people to believe us. You know, it's kind of like a salesman saying, you can trust me. Guess what's one thing I'm not doing right then? Yeah, no. If you got to tell me I can trust you, I'm not trusting you. Uh, trust is earned, and, and, and uh, I, don't give it, I don't give it away easily. Uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll give, I'll be uh, gracious to someone, but that trust business comes, you earn it. He said, but in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God. Now, watch what happens. I want you to know something. Look in verse 4. In 4, you have in. In 4 and 5, look at the word in. Let's look at the ways that we approve or show ourselves to be ministers of God. Look in verse 4. But in all things. Everything we do. There's no compartmentalized part of our life that isn't supposed to be given to the Lord and show his living. Hey, how you do business? How you pay your bills? How you keep your house? How you treat your family? How you keep your word? Those things. Why? Those that in all things, showing ourselves. All of it's important. If there's a weak area, then strengthen that. Learn, grow, keep growing. Don't die before you're dead. Keep living and growing. Keep learning. I was thinking, I was meditating on this verse today because of a conversation I had in the early part of the day, or very early part of the day. It says, A wise man will increase in learning. It doesn't say a wise man will increase in knowledge. Now we understand knowledge does come also. That's not what that verse says. It says, A wise man will increase in learning. What is a preacher? Learning's a capacity. It's not a knowledge amount. A wise man learns how to learn and keeps learning and keeps growing. You ever met somebody who's got a lot of years on them chronologically and maybe they don't even have great health, but they have vitality to them? I'm talking about that sparkle in the eye. I'm talking about they're still alive. I remember I'm thinking of a particular fellow, not somebody in our church, but I remember when he hit age about Nine years younger than I am now? Eight, nine years younger than I am? He started telling me that he'd be so old now, life was about over. You know, my age, you know, my age, I'm like, you're not turned 50 yet. But you don't understand, I'm barely six years younger than you. Well, my age, hey, I'm eight years on this side of it. I don't understand that yet. I hope I never do. And I understand I'm blessed to have health and that can go away just like that. I understand that. <laughs> one, one little bicycle wreck came by. I remember that when I couldn't walk or anything. You know, um, it, it can go away in a hurry, but I'm going to tell you something. The vitality of living for God doesn't have to go away. Do you realize that when we got saved, something was born eternal in us? Yes. It's actually the life of God. It's a wonderful thing that our sins were taken away, but if that's all that happened when you got saved, you wouldn't live forever. You'd just be clean. There's something put in you. What we received at salvation, we keep learning about, not just in this life, 
but throughout all eternity with that. And so it says that in all things, all right? And then look what it says in verse 4. It says, in, as ministers, in much patience, in affliction, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, and those stripes, by the way, he's talking about getting whipped where it tore the skin open, in imprisonments, in tumults. You remember he about got torn in half in a couple, a couple of those riots that kicked off. In labors, that's just hard work. Nothing fancy about it. Uh, in labor, in watchings and fastings. Three words down through this passage where you're going from how wonderful grace is to the fact that we're to be separate to the Lord. These three words. One is in, I-N. The next one's by, B-Y. And then the third one we have is as. What is it? In. In all these things. He said we are proving ourselves as ministers of God in these things. What do we do in the midst of the distresses? Do you know that's one opportunity we have to show that Christianity is real? Anybody can shout out the victory when there's no trouble going on. But what about when the roof falls in, as it were? What about when things hit all at once? I'm not telling you, you got to jump up and down and act like a crazy person. I really don't like that kind of uh, thing. But what about living consistently for the Lord? You ready? Hang on. This might hurt. Ready? I warn you. Don't give away victories that you could have. I've just had a bad day all day, and I tell you what, I've just I got my mind's clear, clouded up, and preacher had to come to church, but I was just so upset. Now you know me. I'm going to preach at the same intensity if this room's full, full over, like it was on last Wednesday night, or if it's you know a lot of people out. Doesn't matter. Man, two of you show up, you're going to get fed. Amen? You might get stuffed because I'm ready for a bunch, right? But, here we go. So I'm not saying, you know, so you got to be here to rev me up to do things. The Bible revs me up. But listen, watch. It is amazing how often I've had somebody say that and then as they talk to me, I realize that what they needed was being addressed. And they weren't working out. So I just didn't feel like I could go. Nobody's asking you to come and do anything. I tell you what, I was just, I, I didn't know if I could get myself together and I, I was supposed to sing that. And well, let us know if that's the case, you know. We can have grace and mercy on that too. And really, if you're on the front row of the choir and you're up there saying, well, no friend, I had Jesus, that's kind of, doesn't do what it's supposed to. <laughs> Amen. I think, I think we have full repentance going on over here now. <laughs> I recognize that wall. Um, but we have... Uh, but so many times people in the things we tend to forget we tend to forget it's easy for this preacher to forget it's easy for you to forget we tend to forget that sometimes those most trying times give us the opportunity to best represent and witness our Lord it's often a prayer of mine when someone's had a family member, friend, somebody that passes away, it's often my private prayer as well, sometimes my public prayer. God, help those who know you in that family. Help people who know you as their Savior 
to take this opportunity to minister and to tell somebody about you while there's a great need. Because that's God's way. It's always God's way. Let's go on. Only in is there in verses 4 and 5. And then look at by. So in all things, we're, we're to do this. And then by. What are the means by which we do it? Look at this. shows up in the next verses here. By pureness. That means you stay clean. Do what's right. By knowledge. We need to be a growing people. Learning the Bible. Getting some knowledge on how to do things right. By long-suffering. I love it. If you really define that word, it basically means putting up with it. You say, how do you define long-suffering? Give me a fancy definition. You ready for the fancy one? Putting up with it. You just Sometimes you say, no, that's not very glamorous. No! Have you noticed life isn't a lot of times? I mean, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. And uh, so with long-suffering, just, just got put up with some things. That's the way it is in life. With long-suffering, then it says, by long-suffering, uh, by kindness, which is a decision, by the Holy Ghost, dependent on Him for our comfort, for our strength, for, for uh, our guidance, for enlightenment as, as from Him. By love unfeigned, the term unfeigned means it's not fake. It's not that, oh, God bless you when you really don't care. It's actually learning to love. Now, some people by nature are very naturally compassionate. There are some people in our congregation, and I love your heart on this, somebody else hurts and you actually physically hurt. You're like, oh my goodness with that. Others of you, you're not trying to be mean. You just look over and go, that's rough, ain't it? <laughs> okay. And don't raise your hands. We know who's who, okay? <laughs> and don't point at your spouse. That's so uncouth. Um, um, <laughs> but wouldn't we all agree that God wants us to have a heart more like His? You say, well, I don't feel the emotion of it. Then listen to the statement. It is much more an act of faith for you to take the time and action to actually care. You say, well, I don't feel it. That's not the issue. The issue is you bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the issue. And so it goes down through here and he talks about this is by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love and faith, by the word of truth, by the power of God. I love this. By the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So you're completely covered there with it. So in and by, and then look what it says, by honor and dishonor. So in every situation that happens, by evil report and good report, and then it shifts the word as deceivers and yet true. In other words, somebody can say something about you, somebody can, uh, can paint the wrong picture about you, but you're true. Be satisfied to know that God knows that. As unknown and yet well known. Preach what's that about? You may not be known down here. You may not have a position. You may not have a title. May not nobody, anybody know you. Uh, but God knows. God knows. I remember a young missionary came in. I was at my 10-year mark of pastoring here. And our church had grown and we had taken a little bit of a downturn at that point. He was here for the weekend. It was on Monday. He was getting ready to leave. And I took him out to eat. And we were talking. And he was sitting there and he was kind of fidgeting. I was talking to him. And uh, I kept... It was like I was getting a nudge about something. And I thought, man, that's an all or nothing proposition. Do I say it? And I thought, yeah, I as well. I keep thinking it. And by the way, I don't believe you should say everything you think, but this was like... So I, I looked at him, Brother Keith, and I, I we're sitting, just me and him across the table. 
I said, why don't you go ahead and ask me the question why you're, you're going to ask. This guy was brand new on Bible college. And I said, why don't you go ahead and ask me the question you want to ask. And he goes, uh, uh, what's that, sir? I said, why have I been here 10 years and our church is no larger than what it is right now? He turned so beat red, it was unbelievable. I, I, I said, I, I, what? Were you thinking it? Well, I, I did wonder. I said, the mommy, you're thinking it all. I said, I, I said, let me help you with something, sir, young man. I said, I don't know. Maybe I'm a lousy pastor. Maybe I've made bad steps in areas. I don't know. I said, but let me ask you a question. And this is going to be important. You're going to be a missionary. I said, because when I left college, they kind of went back. You probably run a thousand people within five years. Yeah. It was a fair boy, you know. I knew better than that stuff. The issue is always obedience and pleasing God. The issue for a preacher is to love God's church like the bride of Christ that it is. And to serve. That's the issue. So this young man, I said, let me ask you a question. And he's all excited, zeal for the idea. And that's great. I said, what are you going to do? When you get to your field, if you've been there 10 years, and you've got 30 people together, 40 people together, and you're working, and you're working, and you're visiting, and you're witnessing, and you're praying, and you're preparing. I said, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay with what you're supposed to do? Are you going to wing out and follow one of these growth movement things that says just ditch everything that's biblical and get a crowd? What are you going to do? I'll tell you exactly what any man, any lady will do in a situation in life. We will do what we've been putting inside ourselves. And if we are learning the Word of God, and we are learning to dwell in God's Word and have God uh, guide us, then when those pressure times come in those things, then by these things we can be as the people of God. May God help us to do it. Look what it says going on down, unknown and yet well known. Let's be satisfied to be pleasing unto the Lord. That is enough. That'll do away with fighting, bickering. Oh, this one had a privilege, that one didn't. That's a bunch of nonsense. Then look, look what happens with this. It goes on down and it says, as chastened, or, or excuse me, in verse 9 again, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live. As chastened, not killed, and God never intends to kill us with the chastening, he intends to correct us so we can be better servants for Him. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. And, and wouldn't uh, Corinthians itself, wouldn't it be an example of that? That these churches of Macedonia, that they were poor in worldly goods, and yet they were very liberal in their giving, and they were helping other churches get started, and they were doing great things. Brother Mark uh, Siegbert told me one of the churches he founded up in the mountain country in Mexico when he was there before he went over to Mongolia. Brother Mark said in, in those churches, he said that he would get in and he would teach those people about what it meant to give to the Lord, what it meant to support missionaries. And he said these people who barely had a subsistence got the vision to get the Gospel into the world. And not only did people get called out of there to take the Gospel to other villages and either even other regions, 
but he said those people actually, out of what they had, helped to send the gospel into all the world. And he said, I cannot tell you the joy and blessing those people had. And why was it? As he labored among them and as they did. And by the way, I don't know the exact number of churches he and Sister Tammy got to start when they were in that region, but uh, I know the last time I talked to Brother Mark, there's still a number of those churches solid and growing and still serving the Lord. They weren't just flashing the pan type things. Then look what he says. He said, As sorrowful yet rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. And then he says, Oh, you Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. He uh, didn't restrict the message. He didn't restrict the love. Then verse 12. I wanted to show you this. He said, you're not straightened in us. And that's the idea of being bound. That's the idea of being uh, you know, tied up, if you will. But you're straightened in your own bowels. And that's their innermost being. It's not the way we usually term things. But it's like you say from the heart and that sort of thing. That's what that's about. You feel it inside. I put this statement down by you are restricted by your own emotions and desires. That's what he was saying to him. He said, you're the one straightening or restricting yourself. You're limiting yourself. Well, preacher, I can't. The main problem with the sentence is you've got I in it. Get your eyes off of I and get them on the Lord. Quit evaluating yourself and trying to figure out where your measurement is all the time and turn your eyes on the Lord looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. For consider Him who endured such a contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. For you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Well, that's a good passage for us to keep in our hearts and minds. Then he goes down with it and he talks about several things with it. And, and, and I like this. He says, he goes straight from that to the obvious conclusion. He says, Corinthians, living in a wicked, wicked city, all kinds of nonsense going on. He says, here's where this, this fact of God's grace working in you and you growing in the Lord, here's where it brings you to. He said, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He didn't say don't talk to them. He didn't say go into some kind of weird monasticism where you don't talk to anybody. God teaches separation, not isolation, and there's a big difference in it. Because we're supposed to be salt and we're supposed to be light. But He said, don't you get yoked up with them. Just going into and along with everything there. Then he asked obvious questions. What would be the basis of you getting together? Look at the question. He said, basis of fellowship. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What kind of fellowship can you have when their, their speech is dirty? Their entertainment's dirty? What they do is against what your Lord teaches? I mean, you come up and say, man, we had a great night in church last night. And they're wanting to talk about how they were hanging out. Doesn't, doesn't, you can't have fellowship. I have a great number of people in this town, those of you who've been around and about with me in town, I have a great number of people in this town I have a very good relationship with. I try to use them for the gospel of Christ. 
There are people who don't even darken the door of a church. They consider me their pastor and I try to get the word to them, try to get the word to them. And I, but I don't, it's not my fellowship. God's people are my fellowship. There's a difference. You work with some rough folks. Man, you be decent to them. Let them know that they're loved. But when they all want to go hang out after work, that's not a place for you to be as a child of God. There's a difference in those things, my friends. And one, one is healthy, another will get you in trouble. And then it asks, what communion hath light with darkness? When we take the Lord's Supper, which is also called communion in the Bible, when we take it here, I explain the Scripture very carefully, open it up and show everyone who's here that you need to know the Lord as your Savior or you can't take this. If you've had time to be baptized, you need to be baptized to do this. The Bible says if you, te- if you treat the Lord's Supper like a light flippant thing, I know it doesn't take away sin. I know you're not uh, turning that into the body of Christ or any other type of heresy like that. I understand what the Bible teaches about it, but the Bible is so serious about it. It says if you treat it despitefully, you treat it like it's nothing and just, oh, we're just doing this, you can die for that stuff. Why? Because you're doing despite to the body of Christ, what it represents. And so we teach these things. They say communion. Yeah. You say, well, somebody comes in, man, and, and they don't even believe in Christ or they don't believe the Bible or anything else. Well, they wouldn't sit down and take the Lord's Supper with us. That, that's the word communion. You, you can't have communion. You can have a friend and you can have someone you know and you care about, but you don't have that communion, that common thing there with that. And then it says... What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord, reaching of an agreement? That's, that's actually a, uh, that, that's a, a contractual term. What concord hath Christ with Belial? Well, there's none. Belial, of course, speaking of the evil one or the devil. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Then he drives it home. He said, what temple? What are you talking about? Ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I would dwell in them. I, I tell you, that's overwhelming me tonight to think about that. That the Creator God of heaven lived inside of me. I would dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God. Could you say tonight He's your God? You don't just know Him you know, in some kind of a dispassionate way, but He is your God. I will be their God. And then look at this. He claims this. They shall be my people. Hmm. You ever had your kids kind of squirreling around a little? Ours were never running wild or anything. Don't believe in that stuff. But they were squirreling around a little when they're little. And you kind of look at them and say, whose child is that? Amen. <laughs> Do we know them? Honey, let's go to a different part of the store. I don't know who these kids are. You know? and, and it wasn't. Ours were never, well, past a very young age. They, they didn't. None of this. Hey, start throwing a fit. Want this or that. They got to go back out to the car. And come back. And back out to the car. Back in. Until we resolve the matter. And you know, you'd be discreet about that. Remember when Ponderosa was on East Main? Way, way, way back when. Some of y'all remember that? We were in there once and Logan was a real little guy. And he just pushed it. And I said, Bub, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't count. I didn't teach my kids math. One, two, three. We didn't do that. Nonsense. I said, I said, Bub, uh-uh. And, and I was very happy if they corrected just with this. That's okay. We, that's fine. We're good there. But I'm like, nope, and pushed it again. I said, so I pick him up. You know, you got to be discreet about things in public. Pick him up, start to carry him to the men's room. Have a little counseling session, as it were. 
And that kid, I carried him, and if I was like, Daddy, don't move it! Don't move it! I'm like, I said, you are dead when we get to that room. <laughs> this is going to be worth it once I get there. And, uh, problem I always had, I had it just as bad with a dad as I do with being a grandpa. Um, I see the humor in things. You know, and it's like, it's still discipline, but it's, uh, I get cracked up, you know. They, I don't know. If you take your time and love on your youngins, this is going to sound weird. I'm just, I'm just giving you a thought. It's, I'm not quoting scripture to you, so just take it at that level. Do, do a lot of people good to quit trying so hard to be a good parent and love their kids. Just learn them. What do you know about your youngins? What do they like? What do they dislike? Who are they? They're little people. We only have them for a little while. May God help us do these things right. And so it comes down there, and it says God wants to dwell in us, wants us to be His people. Then, verse 17, wherefore, and I've taught you before in the Bible, you always want to find out what the wherefore is there for. What was it talking about? All these things we just learned. Come out from among them. What does that mean? Move to a different place? Does that mean... Put yourself, as I said, in some sort of cloister or monasticism where you seclude yourself off. No, that doesn't match anything with the Scripture. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Separate is what you are, not what you do. And I understand it involves your doing, but it is you. That's what I'm telling you. It's separating unto the Lord. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? You're doing it unto the Lord. If all you're doing is adopting the certain rules... It's going to blow up eventually. But if a love for the Lord's there, then those things which are contrary to the Lord, you're not going to want them in your life. I wouldn't want anything in my house that would make my wife uncomfortable. I want our house to be a sanctuary for her. And she does a lot to make it that way. I want it to be a place where she can come and enjoy. If there's something that would irritate and bother, I wouldn't want it there because it bothers somebody a lot. How much more should we be towards the Lord? Not have and bring into our lives things that we know that grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but that quench the Holy Spirit. God give you wisdom to know what particulars you need to address in that. Look at verse 18, how this ends. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We belong to Him. Ah, thank God I do. That's what it all boils down to. Life gets confusing sometimes, doesn't it? A lot of weird going on. <laughs> this has been around a little while, and it's like, whoa, man, you got to get it. It's not just in our nation either. By the way, if you think it's just America, I've got enough personal friends that are missionaries all over this world that it's going. It's a worldwide thing, and, I'm, and all kinds of people are going, "What's going on? Okay, what's going on?" Time's getting very short before it was a term. There's much at work. Listen, people think it's political level, socioeconomic level. The spiritual is what's behind it. And the thing is, there's some days, Brother Keith, honestly, I look and my brain's going, wow, trying to figure things out. And, and not what's right or wrong, but just, you know, so many different things come at you. 
And every now and then I just sit back and say, you know what? I belong to Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm accepted in the beloved. He's got me in His hand, in the Father's hand, and He won't let me go. His grace is sufficient. What Christ did on Calvary is enough. When He rose from the grave, He defeated death, the devil in hell. And I'm telling you, I am in Christ. I don't have the answer for everything. I wish I did. I could help more people. I don't even have the answer for everything you come to me for as a congregation. All I can do is keep pointing you towards the Lord. Keep feeding you the Word. Keep pointing you towards the Lord. You've got to access your God. And at the end of the day, I belong to Him. My sons know the Lord. I've baptized two of my grandbabies. So what if they make bad decisions? They have and they will. What if tragedy comes? Tragedy comes, doesn't it? I belong to the Lord. Let me tell you something. He's never cast out anybody who's come by faith to Him. And uh, what's grace do? Grace, the outgrowth of that is separation. Not because I'm going to prove I'm holier than you. I've got better standards than you do. Or could we say it the down-home way? I've got gooder standards than you do. But separation comes because I say, hmm, the song we sang Sunday, take time to be holy. That's real. Holiness being a heart pursuit of obedience to God. That means I don't want filth in my life, flesh or spirit. I want to be a peculiar person as a peculiar people. In 1 Peter, it says that we're chosen. It says we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people because of Jesus Christ. That means this world is not my home. Amen? I'm just passing through. Let's do something for the Lord about it while we're going. That's what the Lord gave me for you tonight. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank You for Your words. Thank You for Your people and their kind attentiveness tonight. Thank You for everyone who a busy day decide to be in your house tonight and hear the word of God pray you'll help us Lord to be loving towards you I want to be that way I'm amazed Lord sometimes how easily my mind can get distracted God I'm appalled at how easily my heart can get cold I need you Lord and I want you I want to walk before you in simplicity and truth I believe many of your people here do Father, have I spoken in the ears of someone who doesn't know you as their Savior? Lord, could it be one of my own church members here? Maybe just has Baptist religion but doesn't have you. Father, show them if that's the case and bring them under conviction. May no one be satisfied to not know you. Oh God, help us not take you for granted. Help us to walk before you in truth, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed. I say often to you, invitation's not a tack on here. It's time for you to respond to the Lord if He wants you to. I have a song invitation, something you want to bring before the Lord. Why don't you come tonight? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, there are a number of people in this room who can take the Scripture and just show you scripturally what it means to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you.